0: So let's pray. Father God, thank you that we get to do this together, that we get to be a family of faith on this Christmas week, that on the Sunday before the whole world stops to remember your son's birth. We get to stop today to think about the significance of that birth and that life and that death and that resurrection and that return where we most need Jesus to be real in us. So, Father, I pray that right now, as we talk about your word together, as we study your revelation, as we focus on your son, I pray, God, that because of these few moments together, each of us this week and this Saturday will experience the reality of Jesus in a transforming way, in a powerful way, where we most need Jesus to be real in us. I pray that for me. I pray that for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are on the last Sunday of Advent, hard to believe. So it seems that we really should begin, shouldn't we, by sharing together, reading together the Christmas story. We don't usually do this, but let's do this together. Would you stand with me? Let's read together from the Word of God. Read this with me, Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Thank you. Please be seated. How many times have you heard that story? Let's see how God could make that story real in our hearts today. When it happened 20 centuries ago, I can't imagine many people there would have imagined how the world would be celebrating that event 20 centuries ago later. For instance, this is Bob Lindsay. Back in 1976, he and his wife Carol were developing what was then a new subdivision in the town of Arlington, Texas called Interlaken And he had the idea, he was a land developer, now deceased. He had the idea, he and his wife, that maybe they could get some of their neighbors to put some lights on their houses for Christmas, and that might draw more people to this new development in case they might want to buy land there. And maybe Build a house there or something, and it worked. Forty six years later, Interlaken, as I'm sure you know, is one of the best known Christmas neighborhood drive residency things in the entire country. It's getting national attention. It takes two and a half hours. To drive through it now. If you saw the news uh, reports about it the last week, that's what really caused me to think about it. They were warning you there are no toilets along the way, and it's two and a half hours. That was part of the warning of the entire experience. Well, we could spend all day just looking at pictures of some of the houses in Interlaken, in Arlington, and what they've done to celebrate the birth of Christ. And they are not alone. 80 million homes in America, are decorated with lights right now for Christmas, 80 million. 76% of homes have Christmas trees at a cost of $6.1 billion, and that's just at my house. We have two trees. We should have more, shouldn't we? Yeah, should have more, exactly. Americans are going to spend this year, by the time Christmas is done, $789 billion on Christmas. Christmas. And all of that because of that. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? But on another hand, really it makes sense that the world would celebrate the birth of Jesus as it does. I saw a study this week. Someone recently listed the 25 most significant humans in human history. Top 25 of all time. I didn't see any of us on the list, but, you know, maybe next year. You know, Dennis, maybe next year we'll make the list. Number 24 Was Napoleon, for instance. Number 21 was Julius Caesar. 16 was George Washington. At 15 is Abraham Lincoln. Number 10 was Plato. Number 5 was Socrates. They listed Albert Einstein as number two. And guess who was number one? Of all the figures of all of human history. Well, here's something that makes number one different from the other 24. I've read a lot about Napoleon. I'm reading a biography of him right now. In fact, Janet and I have been to Rome, to the very place where they think Caesar was assassinated, uh, been to Mount Vernon, uh, George Washington's home, been to the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln, been to the Acropolis where Plato and Aristotle walked around, read a lot about uh, Albert Einstein over the years, but I know Jesus personally. You can know Jesus personally in a life-changing way. So we're this season looking at the candles of Christmas, the Advent themes of the season, faith, hope, last week love, today the Christ candle. How do you light the Christ candle in your heart in a way that won't go out all year? How could you know Jesus on a level of transforming intimacy that maybe you've never known before? Where do you need Jesus to be more Jesus in your heart today? Ask yourself that. Where do you need more of his peace? His forgiveness, His grace, His leadership maybe, His healing, His encouragement. Where do you need what only Jesus, the living Jesus, can do? Well, let's think about that as we talk about Christmas. Let's think about Christmas and what happened twenty century ago just a little bit. First question, why did He come? Why Christmas at all? Why did Jesus leave heaven for earth? Why did He come to our planet? And you know the answer to that question. He was born to die. He was born to die for our sin. Scripture says that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the payment or the justification for our sin. That's why Jesus came, was to die for our sins. You knew that. But why die the way He did? Why not hemlock like Socrates? Why not a lethal injection like we do? Why that? Why the cruelest form of torture ever devised in human history? Why like that? Well, the Bible says of him in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Because Jesus came at Christmas and died on the cross, there's no sin he cannot forgive. And because he died specifically on the cross, there is no pain he cannot feel. Because of what Jesus did for you, he will forgive every sin you will confess. Then he'll separate it from you as far as the east is from the west, bear it in the depths of the deepest sea, remember it no more. The Bible says that. And because he died on the cross, you will never feel a pain worse than his pain. You can't. It's been determined by medical science that the most horrific pain a body can feel is crucifixion. You and I will never feel a pain he doesn't understand because he died the way he did. So we understand why He came to pay for our sin. We understand why He died even on the cross to feel our pain, to know our pain, our suffering, our grief. But why the three-year ministry before that? Why did He just show up on the planet and die on the cross? Why did He do that? Why teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people? Why did He do that? Well, among other reasons, it's to show that He is the great physician. It is to show that, in fact, he can heal every disease and every affliction. If he'd simply come and died, you wouldn't know that he could cleanse a leper's body. You wouldn't know that he could raise a corpse from the grave. You wouldn't know that he could open blind eyes. You would know that he could place his hands on a grieving soul and change that soul forever. You wouldn't know that. But because of his three-year ministry that led to his crucifixion, to his death on the cross, we now know there's no need he cannot meet because of the way he did that. No sin he can't forgive, no pain he can't feel, no need he can't meet. All right, so why didn't Jesus just show up at the age of 30? could have done that. God of the universe could have simply appeared at the age of 30. Why be born as a baby? Why go 30 years where we know virtually nothing about his life? We have that one episode when he was 12, remember, at the temple. But other than that, we know virtually nothing about his life until the age of 30 when he starts his public ministry. Why do it like that? Why not just appear on the earth at the age of 30? Why do all of that? Well, because Jesus was born as a baby and grew to be a child and then an adolescent and then a young adult and then enter into his public ministry, as the Bible says, in every respect he's been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Their temptations children face, adults don't. And temptations adults face, the childrens don't. And because Jesus experienced the full gamut of humanity, he faced the full gamut of temptation. And so as a result, there's no sin he can't forgive, no pain he can't feel, no need he can't meet, no temptation he cannot defeat. Because he did it the way he did it. All right, so Jesus would choose to come as a baby to grow into adulthood for all the reasons we've described. But why that baby in that place? Why not a palace in Rome? Why not the temple down in Jerusalem? Why not be born to some royal family on some level of acclaim and distinction and celebration? Why do it like that? Only baby to choose his parents. Only baby to choose his birthplace. And he chose that. I read a lot from Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite theologians. He had this to say about Christmas. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they've seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And so, we know there's no sin he can't forgive, no pain he can't feel, no need he can't meet, no temptation he cannot defeat, and no heart he cannot enter. If he would be born in that manger, he'll be born again in your heart. If he would receive the worship of lowly field hands, he'll receive your worship. We know all of that because of Christmas and what happened because of Christmas. And one last thing, don't forget that he chose to become a human at all. Don't forget that, that the God of the universe chose to take on humanity at all. One of my favorite quotations about Christmas, this from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. And he did all of that for us. That's what Advent is all about. It's from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming. But as we sang just now, come, thou long-expected Jesus, especially in liturgical traditions, churches during Advent focus not just backwards at his first coming, but forwards to his next coming. Advent is not just about what he did, but what he will do about his next coming. And that's an appropriate thought. You see, Jesus actually has come or will come in four ways. He came first at Christmas he became flesh and dwelt among us. Second, if you've asked him to forgive your sin and be your Savior, he has come a second time into your life by his Spirit. Now your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the second. We talk about the second coming being the return of Christ. It's actually the fourth coming, if you want to think about it. Second coming is when he comes into your heart. The third coming, if he tarries, is when he comes for us as death. In John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. That where I am, you may be as well. When you die, literally, Jesus comes to take you to heaven. He opens the door of the car to bring you into the house, as it were. He comes for you at death if his return tarries. And then ultimately, what we think of as a second coming, he returns to earth as king and lord. And all of that is what's out there. The Bible says, these are the angels speaking to the apostles at Jesus' ascension to heaven. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, you don't know when that is. The Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. We don't know when that is. But when it happens, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's where we are First coming has happened, thinking about this, that this Saturday. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord, you've had the second coming. Now you're between the third, between the second coming and the third or the fourth. The Lord could come for you today, or He could return today. In just a few minutes, Janet and I are going to get in the car and drive back to Dallas. And that's a religious experience, even on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And we may not make it. You never know, right? You're one day closer. You don't know. Charles Spurgeon was preaching a sermon on heaven, and he said there was a woman in the congregation that her face was just so glowing as he was talking about the glories of heaven, the ecstasies of heaven, the rewards of heaven, the beauties of heaven. And as he was preaching on heaven and doing all that that masterful, genius preacher could do to describe heaven, and her face glue more and more, all at once he realized she'd just gone there, right there during the sermon on heaven. We don't know, Right? We're at that second coming, I hope. I hope you've trusted Christ, and if so, you've experienced a second coming. Now we're waiting for the third or the fourth, and the message of Advent is this. Jesus is coming again, either for me or for us all, and we have only today to be ready. Now that sounds like a somber message on the Sunday before Christmas, but it's actually the opposite. If you knew Jesus would return again next Saturday, Christmas Day either in death or in his return. If you knew that you would see Jesus next Saturday, be an appropriate thing on Christmas Day, wouldn't it? If you knew you were going to see Jesus next Christmas Day, either because he came for you or he came for us all, what would you do differently this week? Well, doing that differently this week is not only the best way to prepare for Christmas, not only the best way to honor the Christ, not only the best way to thank him for what he's done for you, It's the best way to live every single day. If I knew Jesus was coming back next Saturday, what sins would I want to confess ahead of time? Well, because Jesus came to die for our sin, he can forgive that sin. Where would I ask Jesus for healing? Well, because he died on the cross, he knows my pain. And he can heal. Because of his public ministry, we know that he can heal he can help, he can forgive. Is there somebody I need to forgive? If I knew Jesus was coming back on Christmas Day, well, that's the best way to live, is to let myself out of the prison of the resentment and the anger and the animosity and the bitterness of refusing to forgive. Is there someone whose forgiveness I should seek? That's the best way to live, is to live without that guilt of that burden, that pain, that shame, that we feel until we have been forgiven. This week a man that was on our staff in Dallas came to see me. He committed a moral failure in our first year in ministry and uh, resigned from the church and I had not seen him since been 20 years. He was back in town, made an appointment with a friend of mine specifically to come see me to ask my forgiveness. And I told him I forgave him 20 years ago. I never felt it was personal that his moral failure was directed at me. There was a lot of consequence of it, definite consequence as a result, but never felt it was a personal thing. And I said to him, I have no animosity. and I have forgiven He said, yes, but I need to hear you say it. Do you forgive me? And I said his name and said, yes, I forgive you. And I wish you could have seen his face. If you knew Jesus was coming back on Christmas, is there somebody this week you need to go see? We'll do it. It's the best way to live every day, is to live that day fully obedient to Jesus, fully right with Jesus, to live that day so close to him, so experiencing him, that every day is Christmas. Is there something you need to do? Is there something you need to stop doing? Well, Advent is God's invitation. To remember the first coming while you prepare for the final coming. Whenever that is for you. And to make your life so simple that that is what drives you. Live every day ready for God. Every day ready for God. Every day ready for God. Read some time ago about a great preacher who said he started every day by looking in the mirror and saying to himself, Be ready today to meet thy God every day ready to meet God. Found an odd quote, but it really spoke to me. Steve Jobs, a great theologian, Steve Jobs, y'all remember, right? Made this statement. That's been one of my mantras, focus and simplicity. Simplicity can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple, but it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. So let me invite you to simplify your life this week. Let me invite you to simplify your life to living every day as though it were Christmas, every day as though Jesus were coming, every day ready to be with Jesus, because that's the best way to live every day. Don't put it off. I wrote this down when I saw it. If you do not do it now, you never will, and that is the one thing you will regret. If you do not do it now, you never will, and that is the one thing you will regret. So, today we're lighting the Christ candle. Make that your only candle. Make it the purpose of your life to live as though it were Christmas, to live as though Jesus were coming today, to live close to Jesus, ready to see Jesus, walking with Jesus. Because I promise you, that's the best way to live every day. And then every day is Advent, and every day is Christmas. So, let's pray. Take just this moment, if you would. Let me ask you, if you really did know that you would see Jesus tomorrow, what comes to mind first that you would change today? Would you pray about that right now? Would you ask Jesus for the help, the strength, the courage, the faith to take that step? If it were easy, you would have done it already. Would you ask Him, would you ask Jesus to be Jesus in you? Would you ask the Christ who lives in you by His Spirit to give you all you need to be ready today for Him? I promise you, the best way to live this day is as if it were that day. Pray about that. Father, as we sing, so we say, come thou long-expected Jesus. Lord, help us to be able to mean the last prayer of the Bible. When John said, even so, come Lord Jesus. Help us to be able to mean that. Show us what steps to take today and this week. So that if you tarry, when Christmas comes, it'll be Christmas in our hearts in our souls. And every day will be Christmas. That's my prayer for me and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, and Merry Christmas.